Christina has our special this morning.
Thank you, Miss Dina. That is a very powerful song and how that God could be speaking to you in your heart right now. As a matter of fact, the Lord's Holy Spirit can speak louder than any message, but He takes God takes His Word. And I pray that you're ready to, to look at His Holy Word this morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book Jeremiah 29, we're going to be talking about a crisis in the 21st century. Before we read, just talk about what, what am I talking about? A crisis. What crisis are you mentioning? There's been this, this passage and this message has been on my heart for a couple of weeks. And as I was working on it, really struggling this week with some... Uh, just being distracted, really, the, everything from everything going on to my own health, which is just sinus infection, and, and normally Allegra D works really good for that, and and trying to battle that. Um, I been thinking about also my next series. Everybody enjoyed that last series, and the only reason that I think it spoke to so many people is that uh, the Lord obviously was behind it in moving the the hearts of people, and it's definitely, of course, you. if you just preach God's Word, it doesn't matter whether you're preaching out of Genesis all the way to Revelation. His Word is that powerful. <laughs> you can get a message of salvation from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 3. It's powerful. And so just preach the truth. It'll stand all by itself. It doesn't need propped up. It's that powerful. It's that good. And so... You know, but there's also certain subjects that speak to our hearts. Hope seems to be missing today. No hope. We live in a time of despair, of apathy. And what that means is just people not caring, really. We also, and I think it has to do with technology, it seems like, we live in a day where we can send instant text messages instantly. Communication, as a matter of fact, I communicate with Brother Glenn in the Philippines, who's on the other side of the world, our missionary, Brother Ravel, at the drop of a hat. We can Skype each other. I remember seeing that back in the uh, 60s in Star Trek, and uh, the old original series with uh, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. And they would be talking and looking at each other over a screen while talking. I said, you know, everybody said, That's, that'll never happen. <laughs> and here we are doing it not only on a screen, but we can do that on our phones nowadays. They're, they're, now they've got, you remember uh, in the 60s and the 70s, of course not everybody in here can, but, you know, Dick Tracy had the radio wristwatch. Boy, that was cool. But now we've actually got that, you know, and so on and so forth. But even as much as we can communicate, we live in a time where people are so sucked into technology, we're actually disconnected. We don't visit eyeball to eyeball anymore. Face to face, a lot of people want to even try to solve their problems uh, through text messaging. That's the worst way to solve a problem. Uh, you Vocally is the is uh, better than that, and better than that is face-to-face. And uh, But we live in a day of families being distracted. We've talked about this before. 
about families today. Instead, we we won't connect. We're too busy, maybe looking at our phones. But also, we're too busy to sit down and eat together. And that's just a simple thing. It's because why we live in a time where we're distracted. We're just distracted. Period. And we're, we have too many things going on. And don't knock yourself say, well, I know we need to sit down together at the dinner table more often, but it's hard to get everybody together. I'm just saying these are the symptoms for everybody. Even though that's been a staple of our family, we're too busy too. And we get easily distracted. Our family's no different, and we don't face any different obstacles than anybody in this room. We face those same obstacles. We have a lot of anxiety, worry. Uh, over the future, stability. People are worried about their, their retirement. Will I have any retirement? What about the stock market? What about uh, my job? What if you lose your job? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with this, and that is that uh, we, we're really we're just spoiled. We are. We're, we're spoiled to convenience. And we're spoiled to the fact that, uh, did you know our, especially our great-grandparents, really laid a foundation in our country where there was a time before stock market. <laughs> there was a time before retirement plans. You just worked till you died, okay? Or else you couldn't, and then somebody else took care of you. There was a time, there was no, even in the last 100 years, there wasn't a social security system. There wasn't a lot of things that we enjoy today. There wasn't a welfare system. There, you know, and, and all of these things have been added over the last 100 years, which have spoiled us. And with a lot of these things are in good intentions, but what happens is, is we become dependent on a government instead of dependent on the Lord. We become situated where we worry about our, our personal well-being rather than the well-being spiritually of other people, and so on and so forth. We're looking at a time in Jeremiah where they were facing a not only a government shutdown, and not only, they're not just voting to increase the debt limit. Their, their, their government is about to have a foreign invader come in and wipe them out. I'm sorry, you're about to all be not going to lose your jobs or be laid off. You're about to all become slaves. Think about that. A whole country is about to be enslaved by a foreign government, a foreign oppressor, and notice what God says. I'm in Jeremiah 29. Let's all stand for the reading of God's holy word. Jeremiah 29. And your text, if you have a bulletin, says begin with verse 11. We're going to begin with verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts, and that means plans, that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken or listen to you. And you shall find, seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity 
and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where there I've driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place where I've caused you to be carried away captive. Father, thank you for letting us see that there is hope in your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for that. Hope is the ingredient. Um, <clears throat> I was reading earlier this week about a, uh, a World War II submarine that went down off the coast of Europe. Uh, Na- Navy ships were on that U.S. sub. They sent out a distress call. They're going down. They went down in pretty shallow waters uh, compared to what the ocean is. But they were able to, as soon as they got there, the destroyers and, and cruisers got there. They sit down deep uh, sea divers to see if they could figure out a way to rescue these submariners on the boat. And the name of the boat uh, just, just left me, so uh, on the name of the submarine. But the, the diver was down there in the full gear of the deep sea divers and gear and all that. You've seen that if you've seen the Badge of Honor, some of those other movies like that, True Stories. And, uh, and they, he heard while he was working on some of the places, he heard Morse code. And the Morse code that was coming out of the submarine banging on the hull as it was tapping was, Is there any hope? And unfortunately, they could not rescue those men. And they died. And their coffin was that submarine. And they could not rescue them. Many of our sailors, of course, are still aboard the USS Arizona in Pearl Harbor. And they were trapped as the vessel began to fill up with water as it sank during the bombing of Pearl Harbor. 1941, December 7th, as FDR said, a day that will live in infamy. A lot of times uh, you think of, you know, uh, I've actually talked with uh, one of our uh, former uh, pastors, ABA pastors, was uh, uh, Vietnam POW. He was showing me the scars on the end of his fingers where they took uh, needle-nose pliers and they ripped out his fingernails as they were torturing him uh, for information. And he said they clung to hope. Anytime you're imprisoned or in a desperate situation, hope may be all that you have. And I think about this. The Bible talks about hope. It says it's one of the last three remaining gifts, faith, hope, and love. Hope is a needed ingredient today. If our church is going to do anything, we have to have hope. If we're going to have revival, we have to have hope. Now, there's a definition that I've given you for hope. There's a way that you and I use it today. Most of the time, boy, I hope the Cowboys do good in the playoffs, okay? That's a long shot of a hope. But, uh, you know, and I can do that. But a hope is, um, that's, you know, it'd be nice to have and it'd be great if it happened. But there's also a hope as in a sure thing. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in His Word. My hope is an expectation of something that I know is stable and know that is solid. It's an expectation. That's all hope is. I expect Jesus to come back. It's not I hope He does, but it's it's knowing He will. My hope is, is I get to live to see it. The source of our hope is described in Psalm 
and then First Timothy, but we're going to take off here real quick in Psalm chapter 31 and verse 24. The Bible says, our hope is in Him, Psalm 31 and 24. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. And then Psalm 119, the longest chapter in God's Word, Psalm 119 and verse 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy Word, which means this. It means I know that God's Word is a sure thing. And then just in 130, just a few pages over, in verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in His Word do I hope. I need to hear from... You know what that means? Did Whenever the psalmist penned this, was there... A copy of the Word of God. Well, all they had literally was the the Pentateuch, which was the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. That's all they had, basically. There were a few other writings maybe floating around, but he hoped to hear somebody preach. I want to hear a preacher preach. I want to hear, is there any hope for me in my life? We're going into Babylonian captivity. God laid it on Jeremiah's heart to speak and to preach. Is there any hope? And there were some false teachers then. And Jeremiah said, yeah, I'm sorry. You're going to have to go into Babylonian captivity. But guess what? There is hope. But the hope is for your kids or your grandkids. We may have to be the ones that wait and suffer and uh, go through the difficult time. You know, we've never been through We've been through tough times. We've never been through a Great Depression. There's very few survivors of World War II alive today and the think about the things that they went through in first timothy 1 1 i love this it just says the lord jesus christ which is our hope don't think i'll put that on the slide for you next when you're overwhelmed let's talk about this that's the source of our hope we've got a long ways to go let's get covering some of these the next three things you may be facing in your life If you've ever felt like you've been overwhelmed, I'm just overwhelmed in my life. Also, when you don't know what to do, there probably will be some of you will be surprised about what the Word of God says concerning this. And then when your heart is troubled. First of all, when you're overwhelmed, let's head to the book of Ruth. This is a desperate lady in the book of Ruth chapter 1. And basically the story of Naomi and her struggle. She went with her uh, husband and her, <clears throat> she went over there with her husband and her sons. They, because of famine, fled to their enemies' homeland. Went to the Moabites and went over there and they found a little rest for about ten years. And then the famine was ended, but then there was a catastrophe happened. I mean, it's, this is worse. In this day, this would be worse than, than anything you could ever imagine. Your home burning down. You're, you're losing your job. Your retirement, all your crops, everything you own is gone. That's what Naomi was facing. Now, I want you to notice the words that she said, how she felt in Ruth 1.11. 
The Word of God says this. Now, Naomi said, turn again. She had two daughters-in-laws. You say, you may not be familiar with the story of, of Ruth and Naomi, but what happened was Naomi went over there with her husband, her sons, her sons, uh, their sons married uh, two Moabite women, and uh, they're going to try to raise a family. It's going to be tough because it's already a mixed-up family and different nationalities, so it's going to be tough in their culture. So, uh, but then all three husbands die. Naomi's husband, and then her two sons die. She has nobody to carry on the family name. She has nobody who can own property. She has no hope. She says that this, Naomi's overwhelmed. Ruth 1.11 says this, Naomi said, turn again, my daughters, talking about her daughter-in-laws. Why will you go with me back to Bethlehem? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? And what she's referring to is a scripture that I won't go to, but it's in your outline. Deuteronomy 25, which says that a near kinsman, uh, another son, could marry. Uh, if he had a brother that passed away, he could marry her, his, that wife and sister-in-law. And that way that she would not be destitute, wouldn't be out of property, wouldn't be out of home. And said, I don't have any more sons for you, verse 11. Verse 12, turn again, my daughters, go your way. Go back to your homes, because you may not, you may not be able to live like I live. I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should, uh, should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, Verse 13, would you tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, notice this, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. She was overwhelmed. Folks, that's, there's no clear picture from that verse that she is overwhelmed. She doesn't know what to do. There's no hope. Now, she knows the law, but you know what? God's looking on down there, and He's trying to whisper. And I think He whispers to her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, and she's saying, hey, listen, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Orpah didn't listen. Ruth did. And the famous words, and I don't have it inside, but it's great if you read the whole story, the famous words, it says, my people will, I'm going to go with you. Because your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and I believe in your God. And by the way, the Moabites were famous for worshiping idols and all kinds of other things. And what Ruth heard in the stories was there's hope back in Israel. They've got a God who brought them out of Egypt. They've got a God who's worked these miracles. They've got a God who's done these wonders. Ruth believed she went with her. Now, guess what? Neither one of them knew yet. They knew the, now, I know that Naomi knew the law. Deuteronomy, she didn't know about Boaz yet. Because God says, I know how things are going to work out. And what you have to do is trust me that things are going to work out. You and, hey, you and I can't see the future, can we? We can't know what's on down the road. But when you're overwhelmed, know this, that God has a plan. And it may not even come to pass in your lifetime, but God has a plan. <clears throat> in Ruth 4, and uh, I believe in, in 
in our outline, it says 19. I want you to back up to 17. They were all excited. And the women and their neighbors gave it, talking about the baby, a name that finally they had a baby because there was, Ruth got together with Boaz and boom, there was love at first sight. And matter of fact, if you read the story, it says that when she went out in the fields, her daughter-in-law Ruth went out and said, they're poor beggars. And the law of the land says, if you're a poor beggar and you don't have anything to, to eat, you can go out in the fields and if there's anything left, you can have the leftovers. And she goes out in the field. Now, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says it this way in the King James Version, it says that she happened to just happen to go into a field owned by Boaz. I don't think it was happened. I think it was God's providence, God's sovereignty. And God had a plan. And he worked it all out. And they ended up falling in love and getting married. And boom, there was a kinsman who said, I will redeem. We have a kinsman. His name is Jesus who said, I'll redeem you. Because, folks, without Jesus, do you have any hope? Without Jesus, do you have a way to be redeemed back to God? Without a kinsman redeemer, somebody says, I'll purchase you back. That's what Boaz did for them as he got them back where they could... Have hope. Next, when you don't know what to do. That's, this is when you're overwhelmed. That's a great story. That's a sermon all by itself. But I can't just spend nine minutes on it. Sorry. So we've got to go to the next one. Find Second Chronicles 20. Or just look up on the screen. Just follow along. Either one. This is great. Second Chronicles 20. When you don't know what to do, everybody look at verse 12. Well, Brother Michael, I don't know. Maybe you're just preaching to me this morning because right now in my life, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do in my life. I'm facing this huge obstacle, problem, situation. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in all of your lives, but you and God do. And notice this, Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. O our God, will Thou not judge them? They were facing a huge army. We have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Notice this, neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon Thee. Now that is hope. So can you, let me ask you, can you this morning be in a situation where you don't know what to do? What does the Bible say you need to do when you don't know what to do? Get your eyes back on Him. I can go to church, I can worship, I can pray, I can open the Bible. A lot of times we we look for all the answers away from God, or we look for all the answers without prayer. Well, I guess I'll pray now. I've tried everything else, I guess I'll pray now. That should be the first thing we do. (laughs) Keep reading. Verse 13. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. Verse 14, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattiah, a Levite, and the sons of Asaph came the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, God's Spirit moved on somebody and said, Speak up. Speak up. Verse 15, 
Verse 15, and he said, listen up, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Why? I'll fight for you. That's what it says. I'll do your fighting for you. That's hope. That's hope. So in other words, then I'm trying to tr- tackle this problem without God. I'm trying to tackle this problem without prayer. He says he'll, he'd love to fight the battle for you if you'd let him. The battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. A lot of times we get distracted. Remember me talking about distraction? Matthew 17, there's a distracted few. Matthew 17, beginning with verse 4, what happened was Jesus took these three disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, said, let's go up on the mountain. I've got something I want to show you. And uh, it's going to be this transfiguration. He's going to give them a glimpse into what it's going to be like, basically, when he returns, just try to give them some hope. And uh, so he, he, he's lifted up, boom, all of a sudden he's transformed. The word is metamorphosis in the Greek language. It's pretty cool. It means just transformed, kind of like a uh, just plain Jane, something, you know, a caterpillar. And all of a sudden, boom, the same word that has to do with a butterfly. Boom, it's just metamorphosis. It's really cool. He's transfigured before them. That's the word. And uh, then Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, Moses and Elijah. And while he yet spake, all of a sudden God speaks and God's, boom! <laughs> he shouts. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Matter of fact, if that scared you, just think what it scared them. They were, it says right here, verse 6, look at it. When the disciples heard it, <laughs> they were scared out of their mind. That's the word sore afraid, it doesn't mean just a little like this. The word sore afraid means they were shaken out of their boots. Okay, and Jesus, it says, and Jesus came and touched them and says, rise, be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And folks, that's where you and I need to be. We need to be looking up, get our eyes off of everything else and see Jesus only. He's the answer. He's our hope. That's what First Timothy 1.1 said. Okay, so when I don't know what to do, Get our eyes back on Him. Let Him do the fighting for us. I've got to, even though when I don't know what to do, I can go to church, I can pray, I can call on the name of the Lord, I can sing a song. I've got to get my eyes back on Him, though. Last point. <clears throat> when your heart is troubled. John 14. This is... Uh, an interesting passage because a lot of times... People uh, think about, uh, he starts off John 14, 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, sometimes people take this passage of Scripture And they say, well, he's trying to give them some hope 
Because the very first verse, John 14, 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, your heart can be troubled, but most of the time our heart's troubled and when we hear bad news. You've got cancer. Been, I've been trying to check on Brother Joel, our missionary, and, and making sure his heart and his attitude is still good. It's easy to get discouraged. I've never been in his shoes. He's 46 years old, and he's got cancer in both lungs and cancer on his spine. They removed his, one of his kidneys because it had a, a tumor inside of it the size of a tennis ball. It got out through the renal vein and got out into his body, and now they're fighting it with chemo. And you hear, well, you've got cancer. Now it's spread. Now you're going to be taking chemo the rest of your life. And you could hear a lot of bad news. Need to pray for the Cunningham family. They just lost Mr. Cunningham, and now Mrs. Cunningham has passed away. You could get back-to-back bad news. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He wasn't just saying, hey... Yippee, you're going to heaven. What had happened was, whenever John penned John, there were no chapters and verses in it. What happened in chapter 13? I got some terrible news. One of you is going to stab me in the back. One of you is going to turn against me. Lord, is it I? Is it me? Is it... Who, who is it? And then... Peter, of course, got a little braggadocious, and, and he said, I'm sorry, Peter, you're, you're going to deny me publicly. Deny that you ever knew me. No, I'd never do that. I'll never do that. Would somebody please stand up and give us some good news and tell us everything's going to be okay? Jesus follows that pattern. If you get to concentrating on your problems, you'll be a walking negative billboard. If all you look at in your life are your problems and your obstacles and your pain and your discomfort and your, I don't know, you just make your list. Make your list of negative, everything negative you can think of. Would somebody please tell me it's going to be okay? Well, according to Jesus, it's okay to stand up and say, listen. Let not your heart, matter of fact, it's all of them, so hearts be troubled. You, are you saved? Are you saved this morning? Y'all can say amen if you are. Amen. In my Father's house. That's what he said. You believe in God? The same thing as what? Are you saved? In my Father's house are is a spot with you. Did you know, if you're saved, your name's not only written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you got a mailbox and it's got your name wreathed on it. Or whatever your name is, the Bible says if you're saved, your name is in heaven. And you have hope. No matter what your struggle is here. And he goes on to saying, but they didn't understand what, when you say you're going, how are you going and when are you going? They didn't know because we look back and we read it, we see how it all went down, don't we? We see, but they're right in the middle of it. He hadn't left yet. Thomas said, where are you going and how are you going and how long are you going to be gone? He said, you know the way and when you see me, you'll understand. But listen to me, Thomas. In verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. 
You're not going to heaven just by coming to this church. You're not going to heaven by being baptized or joining this church. You can say you're saved, but have it all in your head and nothing in your heart. I used this as an illustration yesterday and upward. Let's just pretend that there's no other doors in this room except this one. Unless y'all want to spend the rest of your lives here in this little bunch together, the only way to get out of this room, if there's only one door, is which way? And if there's only one way into heaven, if there's only one door, you're not going to get there but by Jesus. First of all, if you want to go to heaven, if you say you there's no hope without him. And if you've never first of all, before you can be saved, I realized I was a sinner. Have you ever sinned, Michael? Yes, I knew I had. Even as a ten year old. My worst sins then were just disobeying my mom and talking back, lying to her. You don't have to teach kids to be to do any of this, it just comes naturally. Why? We have it in us. All of us are sinners. And I heard that if I want to go to heaven, I have to ask Him to save me. Don't just believe in Him. You can believe in that door all you want. I know there's a door there. I may go there over there one day. You can believe in that door all you want. Unless you go through it, it's no good. You can believe in the door all you want. You say, I believe in Jesus, that means I'm going to heaven. No! If you've never asked Him, if you've never gone through the door, which means, what does that mean? I'm trying to make it as solid as I can this morning. If you've never asked Him to save you, He's not your Savior. If you don't have your name written in heaven yet, you're not going there if you've never asked Jesus to save you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me go ahead and say it the way we talk. Without Him, we have no hope. As we prepare for a hymn invitation. Right where you're at, right here this morning. You say, I've I've lived an okay life, I've lived a decent life. But I am at my wit's end. If you've never been saved, you can call on Him right now. Ask Him to save you. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. I want to go to heaven. I want to have hope. Because no matter what life throws at you, if He's on in your heart, you have hope. Father, as we all bow, just place our lives in your hands. Lord, it's all about you. There is hope. There is an opportunity to realize that we need to turn to you. We need to call upon you. We need to ask you.
In Jesus' name.